intersection of music and life. And welcome to Music Life Radio. I am your host, Dan Sauter. Music Life Radio is a free podcast available on iTunes and your interwebs at musicliferadio.com and features interviews and stories about and related to music. Today on the program, we feature Randy Walker. Randy is a vocalist for the band Carletta Sue K, where he takes on the persona of frontwoman Carletta, adopting the name of his cousin who served time for attempting to firebomb her ex-boyfriend's apartment. He has a four-octave vocal range and writes songs that are brilliantly moving, often humorous, and a little bit unsettling. Randy talks about his upbringing in Fontana, California, home to the Hells Angels, the Mexican Mafia, and Sammy Hagar. Randy also talks about his early life singing in church, his experience with musical theater, recording vocals with the magnetic fields, and why he chose to perform as Carletta Sue Kay. We also talked to him about their debut album, Incongruent. Sit back and enjoy another episode of Music Life Radio, this one entitled Carletta Sue Kay, The Randy Walker Story. This is the first song on Incongruent for the birds. This and night heron And the quail don't need no taxi, no train, and no rail. The red shake and curlew, the black kite and mute swan have spruced up their feathers, and now they. No way. 
All right, well, welcome to Music Live Radio. Today in uh, the studios, we have Randy Walker, also known as Carletta Suke, with us today. Howdy. <laughs> so the first question I'd like to ask, where you grew up, what kind of music were you listening to, what was going on during your early childhood that had an influence on you? Well, I grew up in a, count, a town in Southern California that was uh, called Fontana, about 50 miles east of L.A., hometown of the Hells Angels. It started there in 1948. Its other claims to fame include the Mexican Mafia, um, Sammy Hager. Oh, <laughs> Sammy Hager was my, my oldest brother's graduating class. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. um, and uh, there was a great book that was written a few years back that won the Pulitzer Prize um, called City of Courts. That was hmm. um, this guy, Mike Davis, who wrote this uh, his thesis was basically comparing track housing on the East Coast oh, yeah. with the West Coast. And this one similarities being that uh, they both were steel mill towns in, in Fontana in the 1920s, 1930s, I think. Uh, this guy named Henry Kaiser, who was just related, re- to, directly related to Kaiser Permanente. Yeah. And uh, he started the steel mill. It was the only one, uh, one of two steel mill towns west of the Mississippi. And uh, Fontana is a shitty little shithole. It sucks. It's in San Bernardino County, uh-huh. also known as the Inland Empire. <laughs> uh, there's lots and lots of crystal meth. Yeah. Horrible. I mean, the Mexican Mafia is really the organization that started started that, that happening thing, in California. Yeah. Fontana, yeah, that's that's where I grew up. And uh, I grew I well, I grew up in a in a really strictly religious family. Mm-hmm. Grew up in a, in a Pentecostal church, and my parents were both my mother and my father, mostly my mom. Uh, hardcore country fans, like oh. and every day of my childhood, all my teenage years, that you know, always have George Jones, Merle Haggard, all the good country oh, the, people. The good, the good music. Yeah. Loretta Lynn, my mother. I swear, at one point, my mother thought she was Loretta. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she would dye her black. Like, I actually have a song about a, a mentally ill person. Not, <laughs> not my mother. Called my mother thinks she's Loretta Lynn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, country music, and I, like I said, I went to a Pentecostal church, and uh, we had killer musicians there. And you know, we, they would have like special song requests, and I had my particular song that I used to sing, which I found out years later. Apparently, uh, Willie Nelson recorded the song called "The Unclouded Day." Oh, interesting! <laughs> it's one of those sort of contemporary 1970s sort of yeah. uh, nouveau religious songs. <laughs> but yeah, Pentecostal church. It was uh, black and white, Mexican, you name it. I grew up in predominantly Mexican mm-hmm. part part of well, Fontana is very. Big, big Mexican population there. Uh, and yeah, country music and some gospel. At one point, I wanted to be a professional gospel singer. I had <laughs> yeah. a group with my cousins. <laughs> I don't remember what we called ourselves. Did you perform but... at the church? Oh, yeah, all yeah. the time. Oh, all the time. And is that where you learned to sing? You know, I didn't really... I, 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 I find that question interesting because I don't think I ever learned you to sing. did it. I always sang. Yeah. Always. Uh-huh. I My parents used to... Whenever my grandparents would come to visit, they lived out of state. My mother would parade me in front of my grandparents uh-huh. to make, and they would. She would make me sing them specific songs. To this day, I can't sing the song "Rose Garden" by Lynn Anderson. Can't sing it, sing that without thinking about being forced like a prize dog in front of my grandparents. That one and uh, Kitty Wells making believe. You know, so I, I sang all my life. I remember you know specific moments like sitting in the back of the car with my family just singing and. Or with friends later on as a teenager singing. and I've always sang, you know. I don't think I learned it. I think I learned to be a better singer 
you know, and through uh, the years I've, I've studied well, voice. Obviously, there's vocal techniques and things that you Oh, can yeah. Do. I studied with uh, some pretty great teachers, yeah. actually, in, in Los Angeles. Okay. And I was involved in professional musical theater for uh-huh. many years. And How did you get into musical theater? I think I got into musical theater originally just through high school friends or junior high school, you know, mm-hmm. getting involved with Glee Club, mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, uh, like uh, men's concert men's ensemble, I think is what we were actually yeah. called. Uh, and then, like, you know, there were barbershop quartets, then we do oh. high school musical productions. But then, you know, community theater, and I started working with light opera companies and then regional theaters, and I, you know, I got my equity card. I was a professional actor at one point. I put myself through school mm. doing, doing, Acting in musicals or singing. Often I was in choruses, but I, you know, did some featured roles now and then. So you were <laughs> going to school and doing that at the same time. Oh yeah, and, was, and you were uh, making money. Yeah, it was good. It was you know oh, equity. Was it was back then before they implemented all these different union rules. Like uh-huh. this was at the heyday of when that was happening. Before, if you worked in certain types of theaters, that that they had to hire so many equity actors. And there could only be so many seats in the theater, you know. But this particular one of the theaters, one of the light opera, I worked with, you know, like uh, the Riverside Civic Light Opera, uh, um, L.A. Civic Light Opera, San Bernardino Civic Light Opera, San Gabriel Civic Light Opera, all these uh, Long Beach, San Diego. Uh, um, it, it was, you know, it was hard though because I also had a full time job at, at night. You know, yeah. I worked at a, at, a, at a at a hospital. Okay, so I was doing shows from like seven o'clock to. 11 o'clock, going to my, my hospital job, and then going to school the next day. Mm-hmm. And where was this? Was this in L.A.? It is, this? Yeah, in okay. an apartment, about 50 miles east of, okay. east of L.A. Yeah, okay. I worked at a hospital where I was born, but I worked <laughs> in the morgue when I worked there. Oh, wow. I thought it was interesting. <laughs> How did you get that job? <laughs> I got that job through a friend. Yeah, a, a friend of mine who worked there. Yeah. It, oh, and it was an Adventist health system, so it was part of the Seventh-day Adventist church. Okay. So it was strange because it was this... It, it, it's, I work for Loma Linda University Medical Center, which is an internationally renowned oh. medical uh, research university and hospital. And in fact, this is interesting, Loma Linda University Medical Center, or university, yeah, University Medical Center was the first university and hospital that did the trans species uh, oh, organ wow. transplant. Mm-hmm. In the 80s, there was this baby who became known as Baby Faye. Mm, I remember that. They, that. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Yeah. That they trans, transplanted the baboon heart. Baboon heart. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, pretty wow. crazy. Yeah. I worked there, and I was born there. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty funny. So, at some point, in, when you were in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. that you fell out of love with music. How did that happen? I don't think I ever fell out of love with music. I had less interest in music, mm-hmm. but that was specifically because I wanted to uh, write plays. Okay, and I started writing plays in L.A. And then I moved to Atlanta, and I got some stuff produced there. And I did, I actually did a show off Broadway in New York, um, directed and wrote. And then, you know what, suffice to say, I perhaps could say that I fell in love, fell out of love of of wanting to write plays at some point and then got into music. But I'm not sure if that's true to that either, because I, I, I I can see myself writing in the the future, trying that again, you know, Mm -hmm. but uh, music's always, always been a part of my life. I saw lots of really great bands when I lived in LA during that period. Oh, I (laughs) Oh, I saw, I was really into like the C86 sort of stuff like, uh, Teenage Fan Club and okay. Primal Scream, a lot of the Scottish bands. Huh. Well, when I, I saw the Teenage, Teenage Fan Club's first tour with Bandwagon-esque in L.A. Uh-huh. That was wild. Pretty fun. But we mostly, you know, my taste verge on everything. I like yeah. everything. And I, I, if there was someone cool, I'd go see them. If I wasn't 
high somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> what other kind of music inspires you today? I'll tell you who I've been listening to a lot lately is mm-hmm. this amazing woman named uh, Connie Converse. Mm-hmm. Fascinating life. She got this full ride to either Brandeis or Sarah Lawrence, one of those big uh, girls' schools. Oh, yeah. You know, she was uh, successful uh, academically and went to these schools, and then she like moved to Cincinnati or something like that, got involved with this leftist newspaper, and then she moved to New York and she became part of the whole. Uh, mid fifties, late fifties, uh, folk scene, hmm. and she did all the clubs, you know, in New York City during that period. And then, uh, basically, the weird part of her story is that she apparently, at, at one point, there's no speculation as to why she did this. She just did it, and this is what people know about her: that she she had a husband, and she left her husband a note one day and said, "I'm leaving," and she disappeared, and no one has heard from her since. No one knows. If you read any biographical material on this woman, no one knows. what ha- They know that much of it, that she left this note and disappeared. She could mm. be alive. She could be dead now. But uh, she recorded one. It wasn't a, She met some guy who was involved with a folk scene, and he uh, recorded her some, like 10 or 15 of her songs in his kitchen. And they're just great. They're awesome. They're so sophisticated and and they're folky. And they're funny. Sounds familiar to me. Is this the woman that did the like the ticky tacky houses song? Similar. I, what is her name? Uh, yeah. I forget her name. Oh, I should know her. But name. similar background, kind of. I mean, yes, I think yeah, she was exactly. In the 50s, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I oh can't no, remember. that's gonna drive me crazy now. I can't remember that lady's name. Marine. Uh, uh, ah, I can't remember either. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely the same period. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Okay. That's I think what, this that's woman is it's me weird of. though. Her stuff is so good. Huh. Melodically, it's really original. Robert Forster from the Go Betweens has been a huge champion of her mm. of hers. In fact, that's probably where I heard of it. Mm. Uh, she's great though, and it's just like a sweet voice. And she her her rhyme, her rhymes and her lyrical ideas are really sophisticated. She talks about New York City. She makes reference to the Sherry Neat Netherland Hotel, and it's just really cool. It's, it seems like a trapped like a, a, a period of time, and it, I think she really captures mm. captures that. I have a friend who's getting quite a lot of good, uh, let's say, airtime right now. Who has her her first record has just come out. Her name is Jessica Pratt. She put out a record. She's awesome. She has this very. Some people say that she sounds like, and in fact, I think she does a little bit. Sounds a lot like uh, Stevie Nicks. But she, uh, people compared her to like Karen Dalton and uh-huh. Linda Perhax. And I don't think she's like that at all. Mm. But uh, her stuff is very sweet, very mm. just solo guitar folky. <laughs> but she. Uh, she, I've been listening to her, my friends, the sandwiches, Heidi and Grace. Hey, Heidi and Grace. <laughs> they, uh, we did a tour with them last fall in Europe. Uh, they're great. They, they have two great records out. I listened to Kelly Stoltz's last record, Dreamers, which is really great. And I listened to other assorted things that I can't seem to stop listening to. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like you, do you listen to a lot of women artists? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think my biggest influence are female songwriters mm-hmm. and singers. Yeah. Which is very strange, I think. I, 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 I always related, singing-wise, maybe it's because I have a higher register. I always really related to female singers, uh-huh. you know? What about, like, subject matter and stuff? Is, that, uh, is there something about that that draws you to it? Or is it always just the song and the voice? Well, in re- you know, in regards to, that's a really good question. In regards to the songs, uh-huh. yes. There's some place in me that writes as... From a quote unquote female perspective, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the songs that we've been doing with Carla Suke have been songs that I wrote years ago, 
and I never was able to perform them or record them because I was either doing my other band or I, I always pictured a girl singing them. Mm-hmm. And then I got the idea to do this band, Carlotta Suquet, and uh, I found an, an ability to sing those songs. And not that I feel even remotely you know, in touch with any female uh, idea. I mean, I don't. You know? I don't think yeah. any man can. <laughs> but I do tend to, like, for some whatever reason, try to write from a presumed mm-hmm. uh, perspective, which is often female. If I were a girl, would I use even half of my dive back into your musical past and talk about some of your bands let's talk about Carletta Suke is that the name of the band or just the name of the your persona in both. it both it's okay. both I've always maintained yeah. that it's both okay. Carletta Suke is a character or a persona that I am when I perform as Carletta Suke and or in yeah. Carletta Suke and <laughs> we call the band Carletta Suke yeah. uh, Carletta Suke is named after a real life cousin of mine whose name is Carlotta Suke. <laughs> She's this wacky cousin, younger cousin of mine who had some run-ins with the law and it's some drug arson. problems. <laughs> and I was there right beside her the whole time. <laughs> we took some crazy trips up to, we took a crazy trip up to Vancouver a few years back. And we were both really, excuse me, just really loaded on all the wrong drugs. You yeah. know? <laughs> and uh, she's crazy. She's absolutely crazy. She, her most no- notorious story is that she, attempted to uh, blow up her ex-boyfriend's, <laughs> her cheating, her quote-unquote cheating yeah. uh, ex-boyfriend's apartment. She and attempted she was arrested. Yeah, uh, yeah. She a, built a, a bomb. A pipe bomb. <laughs> yeah. She's a funny girl. She's a yeah. very intelligent girl, but she is a horrible drug addict, you know? Yeah. I love her to death. She's one of my closest family members. Um, <laughs> but I thought it would be funny... Check this out. She was she was incarcerated, and I had my band Carlotta Suke for two years, uh-huh. and I got a message from her on MySpace, and the, the message was, "What the fuck is this shit?" <laughs> <laughs> to this, so she didn't know about it. She had no idea. Well, I just, performed yeah, yeah. as Carlotta Suke yeah. for two years before she knew about it. I, mean, I wasn't about yeah. to tell tell her that. She would have figured yeah. out some way to destroy it, ruin it. <laughs> so, what did she think about it? Has she heard the music? You know. Uh, she's heard the music. Yeah. 
She's heard the music, and she, well, she and I have a, a, a crazy relationship. She knows I'm crazy. Yeah. I know she's crazy. We have yeah. that understanding. Yeah, you yeah. Know? But she hasn't come to see a show yet, and she's yeah. had the opportunity to do that. I'm kind of pissed at the bitch. Yeah. <laughs> you know? What got you to perform as Carletta Sue K and start writing these songs, and, and why are you doing this? I have different uh, theories as to why I do that. People have asked me. And when they do ask me, uh, it always really, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm actually doing it for fun. I'm having fun doing it. Yeah. I think it's fun to do it. I, I, I begin to question myself. One uh, interview asked, asked me a similar question, and I thought they, they were uh, presenting the idea as if I was hiding behind the characters. that mm-hmm. Because I've done other bands where I've represented myself as other characters, yeah. but specifically Carletta and you know, I wear wigs so that you can't. I can't see the band or see the audience, and that's. I, I think there, there's a degree of just the. It's for, obviously there's the freaky, fun, crazy, yeah. doing it to freak people out, and or to just to have fun. But I think there is an element of stage fright or something. Maybe it is. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a, it has something to do with stage fright where that helps me get out there and hide behind it. Maybe. Yeah. Also, I think I'm becoming a fucking becoming a fucking transvestite. You have <laughs> yeah, no idea how many dresses I own. I own more dresses than I own pants. Yeah. That's no lie. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Well, the, the music is really good. It's really beautiful. I mean, and you have a great voice, oh, and, it, and it works out really well. Thanks. But it is interesting when you go to the video and you see kind of this juxtaposition of, uh, of what you're doing. Who is with this fat-ass queen? <laughs> I think, you know, it's funny because we we just opened for uh, Jeffrey Lewis, this this guy at, at Cafe du Nord, like uh, less than a month ago. And I noticed, now I've noticed this more often than not because I'm gay. Mm. I have all these really cute young guys come up to me who are either buying records or just want to talk to me. And I'm always fascinated because... Uh, well, you know, I admire them because they're cute, but yeah, yeah. I could I could see that these people are genuinely weirded out by what I look like and how I, how how I present myself at the show. Um, but they like what I do musically. They like my voice. They like my songs. And when they present that to me, when they say these things to me, it's always really weird because it, there's like this divide where you can totally see where they're a little weirded out by <laughs> talking to you at all, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's always lovely because they're often very cute and they're they're sincere people who want to like express how they feel about what you've just done, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. I think that's really... It is weird though to like... There, there are definitely some people who are like, what? Mm-hmm. We did... We did... We opened for uh, Kinky Friedman at the Great oh, American yeah. Musical and this audience was, for the most part, uh, you know, his audience is very like conservative Jewish, yeah. you know, these people were just, I don't know what the hell they, well, I mean, you could tell that they were just like, what is this? What dude? is this? What am I? But we did the show yeah. and like the most amazing thing, I'm like walking from the stage backstage to go to the merch booth, to try to sell some records mm-hmm. or whatever. And, uh, this older lady, she had to have been 80 or she was a day. Mm-hmm. She stops me and she grabs me by the arm and she says to me, well, I hope you're happy with yourself. I was like, what? what? What do you mean? She's like, you made me cry the entire time. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, so you never know. You know yeah. I was thinking, oh, my God, we're, we're, we're opening for this guy who ran for the governor of Texas who writes mystery books and sells cigars. Yeah, yeah. You know, this crazy character and whatever his audience is. And then I have this elderly woman come up to me and just say, like, this lovely thing. You're like, 
don't, you know, I, I, you know, I learn all the time. There might be cute boys, there might be 80-year-old uh, women, you know, it's like, something happens in music where... That's can the break only, all those boundaries. That's the really, payoff, man. Yeah, yeah. For me, that is the payoff, you know? Well, I've always had a thing for the pretty ones, just like anyone else, I suppose. But beauty's in the eye of the beholder, and a rose is a rose is a rose. I'm not the kind of girl who looks for trouble, though I've had my share, it's true. about your band a little bit Who, who's in your band uh the band currently consists of carlotta suke aka yours truly i'm the singer and uh then uh the oldest member in it right now that is the member who's been in there the longest is a guy named mark makaru he plays cello and uh piano and keys he uh he's a local guy he's a uc berkeley grad the next guy is uh, his name is bob vecchiarello Vecchiarello, incidentally, is Italian for a little old man. <laughs> I just had to say that. Uh, Bob, uh, he's a graduate. Uh, he went to Berkeley School of Music. He's hardcore, like uh, black metal, death metal, like. Oh, and he's doing this band with me, which I think, think is really Berkeley School of Music, the one out in the East in Coast, Bo- Boston. Boston yeah, yeah, he grew up in Boston. And then we have another guy whose name is Sonny Hare, who is brilliant. And ask anyone in San Francisco about Sonny Hare, and mm. they all seem to know Sonny Hare. You know, <laughs> Sonny used to be a, a bartender, and uh, Sonny's amazing. He's toured with uh, PJ Harvey. Yeah. He's done lots of really great great stuff. People love Sonny. Sonny's awesome. So that's the current Carlotta Suke. Great. And you guys have recorded one album. Incongruent, yeah, yeah. And uh, what can you tell us the story of uh, the songwriting process and recording of that album? Uh-huh. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was kind of shitty. Yeah. It, it, uh, a person volunteered to record the record for us. To make a long story short, it took us over two years to record the record, which is ridiculous. a long time, man. It's ridiculous. I could record four fucking albums <laughs> in two years. You know, I, I mean, uh, it, a lot of the songs were songs I had written years before. Yeah. I was super excited to get them done. But, like, you know, when people are doing things for you, it's not doesn't necessarily become like a priority. So it took forever to do it, you know, but we recorded it. We finished it. Finally got it mastered. Gary Hobish did an amazing, brilliant job mastering it. Uh, And then uh, our good friend, Dan Poppy, who runs a label called Kitten Charmer, uh, put it out. And um, uh, he's put out 
some fun stuff. He's he's big. He's a big Penelope Houston fan. He's a good friend friend of hers. Uh, he's put out. He's has this deal with the band Crime. Uh, oh, yeah. He's he's releasing. He's has a, a contractual agreement to release all their unreleased material and some oh, live stuff now. And he's put out uh, a, a Kristen Hirsch record. Uh, former Thor Muses uh, front front person, and he's awesome. And so he put the record out. And we had one other record that was put out before that was a seven inch that was put out by this person who dropped out of off the face of the earth and took all the records with them. So yeah. We have a few very rare copies of our yeah, first yeah, seven inch, you know? <laughs> <laughs> huh. So are you working on a new album now? We are working. We just came from the practice studio about two days ago. We recorded, or I'm sorry, we, we worked on three brand new songs. Mm-hmm. We have incorporated before that two new songs into our live show. And so that's about, that's about half of the songs that we're going to record for the new record. And we're trying to get, uh, some interest going in that, that. I think the idea for the record is thematically it's all about monsters. Mm-hmm. It's about uh, supernatural things. You know? Kind of like uh, Rocky Erickson style almost. Oh, uh, not as rock, Rocky. Not as Rocky. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, kind of like go work. Yeah, exactly. Work with monster, monster themes. themes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I have a song. Really and the same st- style, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a song called uh, The Lady and the Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one, one of the songs that we've been working on is called Post-Apocalyptic Pseudo-Narcissistic Stupid Love Song. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> we, and, and tentatively, the album is going to be called Ectoplasm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what Ectoplasm is? In the, 19, in the turn of the century, they had like you know uh, supernatural, like uh, mystical seances yeah. and stuff like that. Was the occult was really popular? The ghostly, in the photo- the, yeah, yeah, the ghostly images, like yeah, yeah they yeah. call that ectoplasm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> also made popular by the uh, Ghostbusters. Uh, yes. Movie, <laughs> Who are you gonna call? Yeah, exactly. I had to do it. Now, do you uh, have you ever uh, played an instrument, or do you play instrument? I w- I work out songs on 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 a piano, but okay. other than that, no. Don't play any. I have no. Uh, instrumental proclivities. I've tried. I'm mm-hmm. horrible. Although I did buy a really nice, I bought it off the street from some guy in a tenderloin, a uh, really nice ukulele, and I'm learning. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Ukuleles are really easy, actually. I don't have the dexterity, and I'm not a masochist. Yeah, yeah. That hurts. <laughs> that, that shit hurts to me. I can't do it. I'm just, I'm just, and also, I'm a singer. Yeah. Singing is the one thing I feel fully confident in saying yeah. that I do well. Yeah. I, I can't, probably can't do shit else, but I I certainly can't play instruments. <laughs> now, I also read online that you worked at Amoeba Records, and you got some pretty amazing stories from that time period. Oh, yeah, yeah. I worked for Amoeba for about seven and a half years in, in the San Francisco store. Yeah, I met a whole bunch of, bunch of crazy people. Used to be a couple of girls who used to bathe, sunbathe dude on top of their... Their store, I can't see that happening there anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> My friend Shade is—he uh, still works there, actually. He's in a band called The Fresh and Only. At the time when we worked together, uh, he used to play bass for Kelly Stoltz, and they were doing their first uh, European tour. And at the time, Shade lived with Kelly, and uh, I decided I was going to p- play a trick on Kelly, where basically what, what happened was Shade gave me Kelly's uh, email address, and I took a picture of myself wearing this like this bright red rubber slicker 
with a hoodie over my head. Then I took a black wig and I turned it backwards so that my entire face was covered in like like long black tendril, black uh-huh. curly hair. So I'm wearing this hood with just black hair. You don't see my face at all. Just this black hair coming out. So I would write Kelly and I would uh, say, because Kelly had done uh, like a tour in Australia like the summer before. And I pretended I said that I was this trans person who lived in Belgium. <laughs> and I really identified with Kelly. I'd, I had seen him in Australia the summer before. Mm-hmm. And I really loved his music, blah, blah, blah. And so I was writing to Kelly, you know, basically acting like a, a fan, mm-hmm. and then Shade would tell me what Kelly would say, and he'd report to me the next day at Amoeba, and then I, I decided I wanted to mess with him some more, but so then in the emails, I started, started saying things like, uh, it's so nice to, to see such an uh, uh, artist with, with trans identities, so basically I was making Kelly think that I thought he was a, a transsexual, <laughs> and so Kelly started pairing me, according to Shade, started freaking out, oh, yeah. and to make, uh, make a long story short, basically, they were about to do their first European tour. Uh-huh. It started out, off in, in the UK, they played Different cities all up and down England, and it's, uh, uh, yeah, up and down England, and they were playing Glasgow. So I was I was taking a, a trip to Europe, and I planned it so that I would be in Glasgow the night they were playing Glasgow, and they're playing this club on Saki Hall downtown Glasgow called Nice and Sleazy, and I knew the manager of the place, I knew the people who worked there, I'd been there several years before, I knew a lot of people there, so I planned to like just show up during. Kelly's Glaswegian premiere, you know, his debut, and dressed as this character, you know, and I called myself Connie Bergeron. I said that I was on my my vacation from, I supposedly lived in Brussels, and I was there to, you know, I I warned him, I said I was going to be there, you know, and then when I showed up, and they were playing a song, and there was a crowd of people dancing, and I walked up in this outfit with the black wig and the red, red coat, and I just stood in front of him, and I just, like, put my hand out, like, waved to him while I was singing. Oh, you should have seen his face. It was just like, <laughs> he, he turned white as a ghost. It was really hilarious. But then, uh, like, the wig fell, and he saw my face, and yeah. the gig was up. But, but then I got to hang out with him for the rest of their entire European yeah. tour, so. Yeah, well, <laughs> but it, was, it was a pretty elaborate joke <laughs> of the old Amoeba days. You're still <laughs> using your musical theater skills. <laughs> I did, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Talk about the favorite show that you've performed at. We recently opened for Baby D., who is this wonderful, classically trained harpist. She's from Cleveland. And really fascinating, really interesting backstory. But we opened for her at the Brick and Mortar uh, Music Hall a, month, a couple months ago. And we've opened for lots of really fun place, people. We opened for uh, Ariel Pink's Haunted Graffiti. We opened for Girls, the now defunct Girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, we opened for Kelly, Fresh and Only, Sonny Smith. We opened for Kurt Vile at Bottom of the Hill, Kinky mm-hmm. Friedman. We've, we've done some fun shows, and then we did the European tour last last fall, which was a blast. So fun. You know, shows are, you know, it's <laughs> come what may, you know. <laughs> we were playing Berlin for the first time. I'd never played Berlin before. Mm-hmm. And the, the audience is really, it seemed like they're really into it. They're moving towards the front of the stage. They were sort of like clapping, and like you could, visually they looked like they were really into it. And then when the song would end, they were like this, like complete silent. <laughs> Hands to the side, silent. Or really polite cl- clapping. Yeah. And I thought I was making that shit up, you know? Yeah. And then a few months later, I was talking to some person, and this person had just played uh, Berlin as well. Same and thing. I tell you, I said nothing about it, and they described what I just described to you to a T. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, I thought it was sick, you know? <laughs> but we've had some fun shows. Yeah. Some pretty fun shows. 
So when did you first start playing in bands? I mean, obviously you've been singing all of your life. When did you start actually playing with other musicians? And- I pretty much all, have always written songs. Yeah. I've been writing songs since I was probably nine or ten years old. I still own the same, my original Sammy Kahn songwriters rhyming dictionary that I owned oh, when I was awesome. 12 years old. Because <laughs> I could tell too because of the year. And also you see my signature and it's like my 12-year-old signature. I actually didn't really even have any intention or desire to perform in a band situation mm-hmm. until when I lived in New York before uh, Lee and I, my boyfriend Lee and I moved to San Francisco. I lived there for about six years and uh, I was in, I lived in the Bronx. I was sorry. I was, was in this band with these two guys. I'm sorry, three guys. And it was just awful. It was mm-hmm. horrible. You know, I was just learning to write songs kind of like in that sort of style. And, you know, looking back, it was absolute crap, but, uh, and what style was this? Uh, what style? Yeah. Uh, probably, uh, I would say rock. Bluesy okay. rock. Blues rock. You know, these guys, I actually was like, I had tried to contact and make, make contacts with people in New York before that, and it just yeah. never happened. I lived in East Village, and I used to go to CBs all the time. Oh, but, sure. you know, when I lived there, you know, which was uh, 96, 95, 96, 97, 98, CBs was so long over. You yeah. know, so done. And all they had was shitty bands there and <laughs> shitty people like yeah. myself going to them. And I just, like, I never contacted with anybody. Mm. And I tried. I read, you know, The Voice or whatever, trying to meet people who wanted to be in bands. It just never, New York, let me put it this way. New York is not today what it was when I lived there. Mm. You know, especially living in the Bronx. Ugh. Mm. It's just like, I never, I didn't meet people there then. The way I certainly have now in, in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. San Francisco is a cauldron of like-minded people who are really sweet and, yeah. and sort of, I hate to use the word, but community-oriented where, mm-hmm. believe it or not, they when they can, they help you. You know, mm-hmm. As people get together, they actually do it. I feel like New York, when I lived there, was just, no one gave a Doggy shit. Dog, yeah. Not enough for me to give a shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like I guess in the late mid to late nineties was the first time I ever like really wanted to try to like for whatever reason. God knows I was doing all the wrong music <laughs> then. I don't know why the hell I wanted to do it. Yeah. If not to just like try it, I guess. Yeah. Last year it was Beethoven. The year before it was Kratz. He used to keep his door open and the mood would pass.
when did you move out to San Francisco? We moved here in like 19... End of the 90s. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and when, uh, when did you start playing in bands and this out here, right? Immediately? Immediately. Yeah, yeah I, I made my first record when we first got here, we made 1999, which took me forever to make because I was paying for the whole thing myself. Yeah. And I went about it all the wrong way because I recorded it in San Francisco. I recorded it in Memphis. I recorded it in New York. <laughs> I recorded wow. it in Glasgow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. I actually recorded it at the Sun Studios at, you know, they, they, Memphis, it's still yeah. an operating studio yeah. in Memphis. You know, you pay them one hundred fifty dollars; they'll take you in there for an hour, and you can record a song. Yeah, we recorded a Towns Van Zant song wow. there. <laughs> that was fun. Well, that's got to be a fun experience. Oh yeah, totally. I said to this guy because it, you know it is the room. You're not yeah. using the equipment that they use, but it is the room. Well, there's a lot of history. Uh, oh yeah, I remember it was like this. This old cat was the engineer. He'd been there many years, <laughs> and I said to him jokingly, "I'm like." But just tell me where Roy or- Orbison stood, you know? He's like, oh, son, Roy was all over the place. <laughs> <You> <laughs> that was fun, though, because, you know, Ch- Charlie Rich, Johnny Cash, Elvis freaking Presley, you know? So what other musicians have you uh, performed with? I mean, what was that band? Did you oh, have a name? I, 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 no, it was just my, just my, my real name, which is Randy, Randy, Walker. Randy Walker. It's a solo record. Um, I, I worked with... Uh, my good friend Tom Marzella was worked on that record with me. Uh, Bart Davenport played harmonica on some of the songs, but like I said, I played in different cities. So I, wherever I was, I would use whatever friends I had in those cities yeah. to work on. And you performed on uh, a lot of other people's music as well, right? Lately, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. What about like Magnetic Fields? How did yeah. you hook up with those guys? We, uh, we, oh, we. I shouldn't say we. I guess <laughs> I. I recorded like seven tracks on the. Magnetic Fields' most recent record on Merge on uh, Merge Records, which is called uh, "Love at the Bottom of the Sea." I recorded back back. I'm a background singer, mm-hmm. but I get a really nice credit. It just says, yeah. "I love it." Just says, "Vocals, Randy Walker." Yeah. So who knows what I'm singing? And in fact, this is really retarded. But some reviewer, and this guy writes. This guy who wrote this review writes for a Rolling Stone and uh-huh. TV Guy and all these different big publications. He uh, misquoted and said that I was the lead singer on these two different tracks. Which are sung by girls, yeah, and girls who have been in the Magnetic Fields as singers for yeah, yeah. years, but they identified them as Randy Walker, yeah. you know, because it says Randy Walker vocals, yeah. so he didn't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, you don't know the Magnetic Fields very well yes. because you know he read something on the web, and was a thing, but know. it was fun. We recorded it at Tiny uh, John Vanderslice's uh, studio in San Francisco, Tiny Telephone. It was great. Got to be uh, Charles, who record has recorded all the Magnetic Fields records. Got to meet Daniel Handler, the uh, Lemony Snickets, you know, the children's author, Lemony oh, yeah. Snickets. Oh, interesting. He, he, he records, uh, he's Audio recorded books. on all the Magnetic Fields records since, I think, uh, 69 Love Songs. Oh. And he, uh, you know, he's a very successful writer, yeah. and he's a total character. <laughs> yeah. Total character. Him and Stephen Merritt are like, uh, and Daniel Handler is straight, right? You, you'd swear he's the biggest queen on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Stephen Merritt is, in fact, well, at least the shortest queen on the planet. <laughs> but they, they get those two together, and they're just like, they're nonstop. Eh, banter back and forth, back and forth. Really funny. Uh, really funny. At one point, Stephen Merritt was trying to turn on this light right above him, and he's he's like short. four feet tall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he was like trying to reach for this light switch, and it was, we were all laughing at him because he had to jump up. You know? <laughs> um, that, yeah, that was super fun. But, I mean, you know, I, I it was a dream come true. I, uh, we were talking about the Parkside earlier. Yeah. We I, we had done a show there. It was an afternoon show. 
And it was just awful. I often <laughs> refer to the park site as the place where bands go to die. <laughs> when, in fact, as I told you earlier, I almost did die yeah. there once. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but we did the show, and we had friends there. We're all getting ready to go to dinner or something, you know. And out of the blue, I just, this depression descended on me. I was like, I can't be here. I, I got to get the fuck out of here. Mm. I saw my bag right in front of the, the band that was still playing. I just rudely grabbed my bag because I saw the 22 pull up in front of the park side. I'm like, I'm out of here. I didn't say goodbye to anybody. I got on the bus. I'm on my way home on the 22. I was just like, God, I hate my life. I hate my life. I hate it. You know, and I got home and I opened up my emails and I got this email that said, Hey, it's Stephen Merritt from the Magnetic Fields. I was wondering if you'd be interested in seeing some vocals on the upcoming Magnetic Fields record. Yeah, yeah. I immediately thought, you know, someone is just someone fucking with me. me. <laughs> someone's fucking with me. I didn't respond to it for two days after. And I'm an enormous, anybody who knows me, they know that I'm a, I'm a huge Stephen Merritt fan. Yeah. I think he's definitely one of the great songwriters. Yeah. Um, two days later, I wrote, wrote it back. It would be a dream come true. Let me know when and where you want me, and I'm all yours. P.S. If this is one of my friends playing a joke on me, you're mean and you're cruel. And then he wrote me back like two hours later. Yeah, yeah. He's like, fantastic. I'll have Claudia, who's the yeah. piano player and his manager for the Magnetic Fields. Yeah. I'll have her call you, and we'll set up a, a session, you know? And it was awesome. It was oh, super great. fun. And I'm, I'm on a Magnetic Fields record, you know? <laughs> I love these guys. I'm a huge fan of the Magnetic Fields. We tried desperately to work our weasel our way onto a uh, part of their West Coast tour with them, which didn't work out. But we were in contact with them for like, like weeks up and, up until the very end, and then yeah. we didn't get it, so whatever. Well, let's get back to uh, <laughs> Carletta Suke. What are you trying to achieve with this particular group of music that you're working on, these songs? Well, yes. they're, they're all, uh, they're sort of, uh, they're songs about death, they're songs about ghosts, they're songs about famous B-movie monsters, that kind of thing, you know? Is it kind of tying back in with your musical theater I Are you trying more, to do like a theme? Record, I think yeah, or? yeah, but I think it's more akin to my sort of writing path. Writing, okay. I want people to like see, like look at it, like from a sort of literary sort of narrative. Uh, you know, it's not an album with this one overlying emotion, which is something I couldn't do if you pay mm-hmm. me to do. I don't know how bands do that. They make these records that are just from the beginning to end, just these sad. I, I I have to interject humor and mm-hmm. I have to show off. Do you, do you know the Mountain Goats, the band the Mountain Goats? Uh, I don't know. This guy, either. his name is John Darnielle. Years ago, uh, he started this band uh, called the Mount Goats, and it was very near where I grew up, near Fontana by L.A., and he uh, made these all these records on cassette tapes and sold them out mm-hmm. of the back of his car and blah, blah, blah. Sure. He's gone on to become a big indie, indie star, you know? And he, he, has a, he has like an element of his music that I want to capture because it, it, there's a creepiness about it, too. Yeah. You know, it's not just like... It, it, yeah, it, I want to... I want people to be entertained, and I want people to. Yeah, I don't know what the hell I want. <laughs> I want people to laugh. I definitely want people to laugh. I think I, uh, I always try to interject something humorous, whether mm-hmm. accidentally or, or you know. This next question we like to ask everybody: What does music mean to you? Music is really like music is my lifeline. I would not be here right now if it weren't for music. Mm-hmm. I've done so many stupid things in my life. I would be so dead. But I feel like music is really the conduit in my life that really keeps me alive. Music, I should say melody, helps me emotionally. You know, It helps me, music helps me in seeing bands and buying records. It, it entertains me. It certainly entertains me. But there's something else in music that 
there's nothing music where if if it's if it's working the way it, I I feel music should work, then something's clicking inside of you emotionally. You're reacting to it in a specific ways. I see this all the time in, in shows that I do, mm-hmm. and I, I, I used to be weirded out a little by it, but now I've I've come to accept the fact that I'm absolutely the same way. I've seen shows. Uh, I'll tell you a great story. A few years back, I went to go see Ricky Lee Jones at the Noe Valley Ministry. It's a a small church in San Francisco Mm -hmm. in Noe Valley where they have amazing people. I saw Vic Chestnut there several times. Uh, It's a small little uh, non-denominational church where they have these people who perform there. And uh, I was doing a little messed up on drugs at the time. And she was singing this song. And it was just this really beautiful, really sad song. From her, her, what I think her then her most recent album, and I just started bawling. Mm. I couldn't stop crying. Mm. Something just clicked, you know. Uh, it could be the fact that I hadn't slept in two days. No, but <laughs> no, but it was really. But it was funny though because I was very obviously upset. People and this place is tiny, so people saw that I was sort of crying, you know. And including Ricky Lee Jones, who was we were right up front, and she, she was literally like four feet away from me mm. after she finished the finished the song. <laughs> She looked right at me and said, "Are you okay?" <laughs> I was like, "Yes." Right now I'm mortified. You know, everybody's watching, and she looks at me. She says, "Okay, well, this next song, this next song is for this guy." And pointed yeah. to me, and she sang uh, "Chuck E's in Love," her most famous, you know, uh. up tempo, happier song, you know. But uh, that's music. I don't know, man. Sometimes, like I'm a big fan of Anthony Hegarty for Anthony and the Johnsons. There's something, you know, I think a lot of people think his voice is creepy and, and ugly and, and gross. I think, like many other people, that his voice is really special and it hits a really strong emotional chord in, in, in me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that, that that exists out there. It, it exists for me. And I know I'm capable of doing that for other people. Mm-hmm. That is the payoff. I, I, you know, I'm not making any money doing this, you know, <laughs> you know, it's 40 bucks for four people, yeah. you, know, <laughs> uh, you know, or doing a sold out show with a bigger name band and getting a hundred bucks for it. It's like, yeah. okay. But, but, <laughs> but people like that old lady at that, uh, that, uh, Kiki Freeman show, I was like, wow, yeah. that's why I'm doing this. Yeah, it's exactly. such a lovely <laughs> feeling. Well, I think that's the reason almost most musicians do it. I mean, that it's the their love, their passion, and yeah. And uh, it's, it's if you're a, looking for the the royalties, as uh, one of our old drummers used to say, well, well, I just figured the royalties would pay for that. Royalties, <laughs> what royalties? We always give them shit. <laughs> royalties don't pay for gas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was talking about the practice space. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. <That's funny>. no. <laughs> um, if you were on a desert island, you could only pick five albums or songs. Just give us a smattering of some some of your favorites, your classics. Okay. Definitely "69 Love Songs" by the Magnetic Fields. It's mm-hmm. a masterpiece. It's it's it, it it stands strongly, in my opinion, in the American Songbook. I think it will. Twenty years from now, Stephen Merritt will be, you know, uh, the Stephen Sondheim of two thousand. Four, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. Six Nine Love Songs is great. I love Colin Bluntstone, who is the lead singer for the Zombies. His first uh, solo record is called One Year. Hmm. Gorgeous, gorgeous. I can never stop listening to that. He does a gorgeous version of Tim Hart's uh, Misty Roses. He does the song, and then afterwards, he has his little chamber orchestra do this lovely uh, orchestral mm. arrangement, like interpreting the song Misty Roses. Then he goes back into Misty Roses singing it. 
beautiful. Call Bloods down. He has that soft, buttery, beautiful voice. Uh, so one year, his by Call Bloodstone. Uh, Towns Van Zandt's second record, uh, which is called Towns Van Zandt, not to be confused with his first record, which is called Towns Van Zandt, uh, the one where he's sitting at the kitchen table. That's great. It has It's my favorite song by Towns Van Zandt, which is called uh, Quicksilver Daydreams of Maria. That's one of my absolutely favorite mm. albums. There's a singer-songwriter named Mary Margaret O'Hara, who is, strangely enough, the sister of Catherine O'Hara, who's the actress in SCTV and all the Christopher Guest movies. She made a record in the 80s called Miss America, and she dropped out. She made one record. uh, She dropped out. From what I heard, she became a school teacher in Toronto. Hmm. And and then many years later, she I think she's since has recorded with Wilco and these different... Hmm. She's done some soundtracks. But she has this record called Miss America, which is so bizarre. Hmm. She Hmm. has these vocal techniques that are just will blow you away. So so mm. weird. She has a song where she sings with her throat. It's like like it's not like Tuvan throat singing, yeah. but it's her version of it. You kind know. Of, uh, um, I love uh, George Jones. I'm a big George Jones fan. I love his the song that he sang, he recorded in the '60s called uh, "If My Heart Had Windows." That's a really great song. Yeah, and I listen to a lot of classical music. Actually, classical. I'm I'm a, I'm a, I'm a uh, I'm a sucker for the SF Symphony. I love mm-hmm. Michael Tilson Thomas. He's he's mm-hmm. like watching Bugs Bunny conduct. He really <laughs> is. He, uh, he I saw we saw we went to see a premiere uh, at the SF Symphony uh, a few years ago. He was conducting uh, an original piece by John Adams. It was boring as hell. It was mm-hmm. just boring. I like John Adams, but it was boring. Mm. But then afterwards, he uh, conducted these this pieces by Tchaikovsky. I swear to God, he was right out of a Warner Brothers cartoon. <laughs> I thought he was going to spit around at the end and wave his baton. Yeah. He's really great to watch. And huh. we recently saw him. Uh, he conducted a uh, a piece by Berlioz, and that was magical. He's he's great. If, yeah. if if I have the money to go to the SF Symphony, which is like literally like four blocks from my house, I I will be there. I listen to all kinds of music. I like mm-hmm. Brazilian music. I love uh, Caetano Veloso. I love uh, Charles Roberto and. Yeah, you name it. I love. It. I like punk rock. Mm-hmm. I like some modern stuff. <laughs> some stuff I like. You know, Fresh and Onlys are great. The Fresh and Onlys, I love them. They're friends of mine from San Francisco. Uh, what was the most significant moment in your life <laughs> that you feel comfortable sharing? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, when that guy knocked me up, knocked me back into consciousness. That time, I was the guy slapped me in the face in Denver, and I like started breathing again. No, not that time. <laughs> No, the most significant thing in my life is definitely my boyfriend, Lee. Yeah. I met him. We've been together for almost 20 years. I think we've been getting together over 20 years, but mm-hmm. he's in denial of his age. Yeah. You know? <laughs> we met in New York. He's from Southern California. We're both from Southern California. Yeah. We met in in uh, New York when we lived in New York. And yeah, Lee. Lee, Lee is the most significant. Significant. <laughs> All right. Definitely. What is next for you, and what do you have to promote? What's coming up for Carlotta CK? We, uh, besides our debut record on Kitten Charmer Records, uh, it's called Incongruent. You can get it in Midhaven. Midhaven. What's it called? Midhaven. Midhaven. Midhaven uh, Distributor. Or come to a show. And then we're working on the record, which is tentatively called Ectoplasm. Yes. <laughs> what other uh, uh, long-term uh, goals do you have? Long-time goals? I would, I, you know, I still write. And I, uh, I work on short stories all the time. I, uh, writing, writing is, is, mm-hmm. is a big a thing that I really want to actually make happen. Like know? a book or um, I, uh, short stories, probably short, okay, stories. short stories. You know, I, I, let's see, 
20 years ago, <laughs> cuts, <laughs> 20 years ago, I, something, I had a, some big drama in my family and I went to visit my parents and I started working on, on a novel and I actually finished the novel, but I, <laughs> I stopped, I felt lost interest and I got involved in music, <laughs> you know, but I, I finished the novel. It's, it's. It's close to 800 pages long. Oh. <laughs> it de- desperately needs a professional uh, <laughs> editor. But uh, it, it's, uh, yeah, I, I wrote that, and it's it's in a box. It's mo- the, as Spalding Gray would say, it's the monster in the box in my closet, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would like to try to make something happen with that, you know? Oh, and I also have I also have a record coming out on uh, Domino uh, Records in, in the UK. It's a big uh, record label and distributor, okay. and they have a subsidiary label that's run by one of their big A&R guys uh, named Jack Shankly, who has his own – they let him start his own label called A Weird World. It's supposed to be announced like any day now. We recorded – I recorded with this gorgeous, amazing, fabulous young lady uh, from a band called The Sandwiches. Her name is Heidi Alexander. Uh we, she recorded one of my songs, and I recorded one of her songs. And it's funny because her recording of my song turned out to be too long because they were Weird World was going to put out a seven inch for us, mm-hmm. and it turned out to be too long. So then they offered us uh, the chance to, to add more music to it and to do a ten inch instead. Mm-hmm. So we're waiting for that to come out. Mm-hmm. That, that, we're supposed to have it's supposed to be announced very soon. Weird World is a. Uh, is uh, he, he, he's a pretty uh, impressive young guy. His name is Jack Shankly. He's an A&R guy from uh, Domino, and he's put out bands like uh, uh, this really hot chick right now from France. She's really cute. It's called Melody's Echo Chamber. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cocteau twinsy. But uh, he's, he's a pretty uh, cool cat. He's cute, too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Randy, for being Thanks, on Dad. the program. This has been great. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Thanks again to Randy Walker, also known as Carletta UK. We're going to leave you with a song off of the Incongruent album. This one entitled Pretty Inside. She's pretty as a baby. She's pretty as a rose. She's pretty as a sleeping the red rooster crows She's pretty a thousand miles away She's pretty by my side But God knows she ain't pretty
Thanks again for checking out Music Live Radio. I'm your host, Dan Sauter, and we'll catch you next time. But before we go, we're going to leave you with an outtake of Randy Walker talking about how great it is to live in San Francisco. He got some help from Pat Johnson, who plays in Penelope Houston's band, one day to move a couch. Walking down Pay Street, which is the street I live on, yeah. as walk- I walked about four blocks down Pay Street. I was on my way to a practice, and this guy, he's got this... Really cool, like, black leather couch he's just sitting out on the sidewalk, yeah. putting a sign that says, free, please take. Uh-huh. And we desperately needed a, new, a couch, and this was exactly what I wanted, you know? Yeah. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, I don't have a car. I only literally live, like, four blocks away. I'm like, shit. And all of a sudden, this lady, like, she sees me. Her Their apartment's, like, right on the street level. She's like, oh, yeah, we just put that out there. I'm like... Oh, it's perfect for exactly what I've been looking for, and I can't afford to buy, and I would, you know, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, she's all, Pat! Like that, and he comes out, and he's like, (laughs) he goes, you know what? I'll take you to your house. I'll help you move into your house. I'm like, are you kidding? He's like, come on, let's go. Because he still had his rental that he had used, it was using. And uh, so he's driving me during the course of like, like a block. And then he like helped me move it up to my house. Then he took me to my practice space. But we started talking. I'm like, wait, what's your name again? And he's like, he's like, Pat, we're talking. I'm like, oh my god, I did a show with you like a month ago. <laughs> he's like, oh, you're Carlotta Suke, aren't you? It was funny, and it was literally the day that he and his wife and their new baby yeah. moved to Nashville. Oh wow, yeah, huh. I thought that was just so so serendipitous yeah. and strange. You know? It's pretty amazing.